welcome to today's episode of the Learning Value Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Laura Archers, as always, and also Jade and Nand, and we're going to be talking about some very interesting things today. Say hello, everybody. Hi there, everyone. We're so glad that you're listening today, and we're really delighted. We're going to be stepping into a different conversation, but what I love the most about chatting with John is that we just keep learning. And this is like our professional development and we're just sharing it with you. So thanks for being here and uh, I'll turn it back over to Jade. Welcome, Jade. We're grateful to have you here today. It's good to be here. And I know, John, it was very nice to meet you too, Laura. So the topic has to do with Jade, but when it comes right down to it, it it is about an experience that I had and it's an experience I had as Jade went through something. I'm going to start really by talking about learning and the way the brain works, which a lot of people already understand, and our entire podcast is about learning. But when it comes right down to it, it's the conversations we have about learning. Every time we do it, we are expanding our our knowledge. The piece of meat between your ears, the two and a half pounds of wrinkly, spongy stuff that's out there, it really does some amazing things. And it's electrical impulses and it's chemicals and things like that. And every single thing that you have, all of your consciousness, all of your thoughts, all of your emotions and everything like that comes from really this piece of meat that's upstairs here. And that's where we think consciousness resides and all the other conversations around that too. But learning is really an interesting topic when you think about how learning occurs in the brain. And there's two real ways that it happens. It's through, well, the psychology terms are sort of assimilation and accommodation. Assimilation is you put something new in front of you and your brain goes, oh, I'm going to take that and put it into this existing category because I know this this category works very well. An example is like if a toddler sees a dog for a first time, then that toddler is probably going to call all animals with four legs dogs. Oh, I've got a new category here. I've got this new bucket. Everything with four legs is a dog, 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 dog. Oh, now that's a cat. Oh, that's something else that can go into the four-legged animal bucket. So this is assimilating new knowledge into sort of existing containers. And on the learning scale, that's kind of the easy way to learn things. And that sort of gets reinforced every time something gets added to one of these big buckets and it gets stronger and stronger over time, every time it gets reinforced. The other side of this is when you actually run into something that doesn't have an existing bucket, then your brain has to essentially make an accommodation for it. It has to take the bucket that existed that was holding dogs and change the shape of the bucket to be in the shape of a bird with four legs or something that you see at the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum or some crazy thing. Oh, that doesn't really fit or something like that. So that is a lot harder. And like I say, the more you think about something, neurons that play together, stay together, the stronger those connections get, and it becomes a habit over time. And it's one of the reasons why unlearning things like language or behaviors and things like that are so difficult for people because you are reinforced every time you put something into the assimilative bucket from the time you can speak through until the time you run into something that doesn't quite fit anymore. And another one of the reasons why it's easier for people who are younger to learn as opposed to people who are older. They're not quite set into the patterns as much, so they have a little bit more flexibility. So when a change happens that doesn't quite fit into your worldview, your mindset or something like that, it's hard to change. Unlearning is hard. And you know, if you think about somebody who grew up in a family full of racists, just as a perfect example, not maybe not a perfect example, just as an example, but 
you grow up thinking this is normal. You grow up thinking this language is normal. You grow up thinking this behavior is normal. You grow up thinking that all these people that you're interacting with that are part of this sort of similar thinking community, you grow up thinking that's normal. Then you go away to university or somewhere else and you go, whoa, those people are so backwards. What the heck is wrong with those kinds of people? I really need to change my thinking. I've had to do this three or four times throughout the course of my life. And when it comes right down to it, Jade, when you went through the change that I hope you'll talk about a little bit here, it really caused me to take some things out of my assimilation bucket and go, you know what? The language that I use, the pronouns that I use, you don't even think about when you're going to use this, that, the, but, he, she, we, they. That's not part of your usual conversation. But when things change, you sometimes have to go, oh, I now have to change the way that I'm using language. Here's a, another example that maybe isn't a popular example, but when I deal with some of the companies in the United States, I deal with the National Indian Gaming Association. So when you're down there, all these people that I'm dealing with refer to themselves as the Indians and they use it in language and it's fine and it's acceptable and it's a part of common speech. In Canada, we don't use that word anymore. We've really tried not to use it. For a while, Aboriginal was what we used and now the proper term is Indigenous. And because I'd already changed my language a couple of times. I had no problem adopting that indigenous because my bucket got squishy. The bucket was set in its way for years and years and years and language changed and my bucket got a little more malleable. So I was able to sort of make the change. And with Jade and with what you went through, which I'll ask for, for next to share to your level of comfort, of course, it really caused me to have to change the buckets a bit. And the struggle for me is pronouns. The pronoun use is something that makes my brain just go squirrely sometimes, especially when I don't have the right visual cues to reinforce me or something to remind me or something like that too. And if I spent a year and a half getting to know somebody like Jade in one specific environment and associate all of my behaviors with that specific activity, and then something happens to Jade, I'm like, oh, I don't know my brain. Oh, 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 let's go. Oh, okay. Must try harder. Must unlearn the past. It was so painful. So that is our topic for today. There's your introduction. I'm going to pass it over to Laura for some color, and then we'll go to Jade. How's that sound? Sounds great. <laughs> so we're in the process of unlearning and finding those parts of malleability in our own brain function. So just want to make some, yeah, make some space for us to unlearn and learn a little bit through your eyes, Jade. And as John suggested, sharing to the level of your comfort You've gone through a big change in your life. We'd love for you to kind of share that story in the way that best serves you in this conversation so that we can be thoughtful and sensitive. So please share your story about your change. I don't even know if I'm going to do this in chronological order, really, because there's what John experienced and there's little bits before that, but there's some unlearning that I had to do as well there. But just to start with that sort of U-turns that people in the office had to do, honestly, I felt just like leading all the way up to this, I didn't want to be in imposition. And when you do something like this, you can't help it. All of the terms that people use for each other, you just get to find out exactly how relational they are. Sister and brother, it's like you can make a change for yourself, but it tugs on every two-way attachment, whether you want it to or not. And, you know, I, I didn't want to be in imposition, but this kind of got beyond my ability to, to keep a lid on. 
as well. So I kind of felt in my head just before I was doing this, I apologize to all the people who are going to be put out by this because I know it's going to have some ripple effects. And I really appreciated how people came around on things because I know how automatic it is. I had to do self-talk on my own because you refer to yourself. Like if you cuss yourself out, you know, like, oh, I, I slammed my finger in a cupboard somehow. Oh, what a silly. And you'll address yourself as something. And even those little terms, even those little terms had to get fixed. But in terms of even when you're talking about how you end up going off to changing, you know, it's a matter of repetition. The people who were closest on my team who had to address me, you know, 11 times a day, they got the pronouns first. They got that pronoun switch over first. That seems all about learning. And people who had never met me, that was no problem for them. They meet me for the first time. It's like, well, of course that is. The people who had the hardest time were the people who interacted with me occasionally, you know, once a week or slightly less often than that. Because, you know, you, you have your patter in your head and you don't practice it. You don't take it out and air it all the time. That's a lot of mental effort that you don't really need to get into. So when it comes time, you have had, you know, three opportunities to do something, whereas, you know, a close teammate has had close to 80. And that makes a big difference. So there's that. As someone who's gone through a big change, not as obviously there's no comparison at all. Everybody has different versions of what big changes are in their lives. I did a full legal name change. And so my first middle and last name changed. I mean, it's been years and I am still helping people as they adjust to the new name. People that have known me for like two decades are struggling and some people have just opted out. They're just like, I'm not going to refer to you as your new name. Straight up, not going to do it. And heard the same from my family, not going to support it, not going to call you by your new name. We gave you that name. That's what we're going to stick with. But it's also like, this is my path, my journey, my change, and I'm doing it for me. So, but it took me just like coaching and gently moving people through it because like, if there's no point in me getting angry, it just disturbs my peace. And there's no point in being ferocious about it. Again, doesn't do anything for my state of mind. And so I get really curious, Jade, about, you know, when you had committed to the change, what was the process that you went through? Because you were you were just talking about that unlearning. Was the process that you went through for yourself, for the people closest to you, and then for your network that you work with? Like that's what I get curious about. So that's one of the things that I have an interest in. I do want to make a couple of comments about Jade about your introduction. There is that you know it's not an imposition. Anybody can make any kind of a change to themselves that they want because we are humans. If you're not changing. Mm-hmm what the heck are you doing with yourself? And I honestly believe that if you're not learning anything, then you're dead. That's the only time you're not learning anything and your brain is taking care of a lot of it automatically for you. So Mm -hmm. it's not putting anybody out or anything like that. It is saying, okay, we've got something new. Your brain is designed to do it. It's got this feature place and this thing in place over here. One of them is easy and one of them is hard. This one's a hard one. You got to do it. And it's more 
not being put out. It's almost like there's a shining light where something new has happened. And as a learning guy, I'm all over that. I'm like, oh, I got to learn a new thing to do. And it's going to be a hard one. I got to figure out how to do it. It's been easier than, than trying to fix my slice of golf, but it's still not easy. <laughs> and then the questions we have, Jade, and we, once again, we want to make sure that you're comfortable with this. But if you want to talk about wherever you wanted to start in your journey and what made you sort of pull the trigger to make it public for everybody that knows and what the actual change was for you and maybe just a little bit of the impact. And I can tell you that Laura and I are just fascinated by the topic. So And the process. I think that's the piece for me, Jade, is you probably took a very, like, whether you're aware of it or not, you probably had a process that you were operating from. And so just unpacking that a little bit in that storytelling, because that's a big piece of the unlearning and relearning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another piece of it too, is that the change for us is a blip when it comes right down to the change for you, which was a massive explosion, mm-hmm. earth shattering, your entire world got sort of shaken up like an Etch-a-Sketch or something like that. For us, it's like, oh, I need to try and fit a new paradigm into my reality. Whereas for you, it's this massive undertaking, which I'm sure yeah. took years. Yeah. Not- well, it can also appear to other people to be really sudden, like, you mm-hmm. know, it can seem like you just did this. You just did this right now. Mm-hmm. There's something which isn't a real thing. Often in the UK, they call rapid onset gender dysphoria. And basically, they surveyed a bunch of parents who don't like that their kids are transgender and say, how sudden did this appear to you? And, you know, universally, because they were taken specifically from websites of unsupportive parents, it's like, it was really fast. It was right away. It was just a snap like that. And then they presumed that that's the way it actually happens for trans people. It's like they just did that once a day and they just started chalking it up to YouTube and anime and who knows what else. But it was bunkum. But okay, I'll, I'll go back a bit in time for my own journey, just in drips and drabs. Some trans people know they're trans early. Some people don't figure it out for a long time. All of us know that something is wrong. It's a matter of how much definition we can put on and how we react to it uh, when it starts coming into our brains, because it'll tell us. Now, when they say in no uncertain terms, this was definitely in uncertain terms. It will tell us in uncertain terms that we're in the wrong place, that we're on the wrong team, that we're being kept on a team we don't want to. It feels like you've wandered into a meeting about entirely the wrong topic and it's embarrassing to leave. And everyone else seems to be enjoying this conference topic and you're not. And you're trying to pretend you are because you're getting bad stares for not appearing interested. As a little kid, I would not have been able to tell you that I was trans. I did a lot of things in retrospect. In change rooms, I would just hide under a big towel. And if you asked me what it was at the time, I would have said, well, I'm shy. And it's like, nobody needs to see that things like that. And I would do that on the way in. I would do that on the way out. I would try to muscle through it, but no, no, I have to do this. And just got more of an inkling as I got older. I was luckier than a lot of trans people. In the 90s, 90s was the era of Ace Ventura. And what's the one with Hannibal Lecter in it? Uh, Islands Islands of the Lambs. Islands of the Lambs. Yeah, even though they specifically said, it's like, you know, Buffalo Bill says right here in the book, you know, not trans, but that's going to be how the public is going to see this there. So a lot of other trans people, you know, they saw that on screen. It's like, that's not me. 
and they tried to submerge themselves a lot. I'm pretty lucky. Uh, a lot of other trans people fought it. You can try to fight it, but you're not present in yourself. There's a lot of not being there for yourself, a dissociation, anything to just dull your ego so that you're not actually inside yourself. Me, I was lucky. I had the internet early. I had BBSs early. I managed like not a kink person myself, but I managed some forums on a whole bunch of different BBS. And it's like, oh, you know what? These kink people, they're kind of cute. They understand consent. What's a BBS? BBS. Oh my God. For the young <laughs> before the internet, oh, you, you no. dialed things up directly. <laughs> it would show up on your screen. You'd type in your name and password. And we actually used terms like lol in the 80s. So, you know, when that became popular on the internet, it's like, oh, wow, this is like 20 years old now, but people are using it. Oh, yeah. No, I have to say, Laura, this is probably one of the first times I've gone, how much older than Laura am I? Because I was on bulletin board systems before the internet even existed. I remember the web crawlers and Lycos and all kinds of crazy things that go way back. Bulletin boards were really kind of the first wild west of the internet, too. It was a lot of fun. So I remember, just for yeah. clarity. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I'm from that generation. I, I am so. that old, number one. But I, I just never referred to it that way. And I could just imagine people listening going, what are they saying? Mm. So I was like, mm, I need to just refresh myself because I didn't actually participate. And to be clear, I didn't even own a television until I was 38 years old. So consider me like behind the time. Honestly, that's fine. Uh, thanks thanks for entertaining me so you were at the bulletin boards and now yeah at the bulletin boards and you know I was able to dig in and find clues and things like that I didn't find out about trans people like properly until the 1990s with the explosion of there was Usenet which ultra nerds would have had access to before but this was like news groups it was like reddit before reddit there were things about transgendered people. It was alt sex transgendered and it was a whole thing there. I can't remember. It was somewhere between 92 and 95 that that started. And well, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. And I knew trans people back in the 90s. And I got to say that it was very cool. It was very cool meeting people back there. I knew quite a few. It taught me a lot about myself. But back in the day, it was essentially, you know, are you dressing up or are you changing? Really, that was the only split they had there. And for so many of us, it's like, well, it's not really about the clothes, seriously. But I don't want to do anything to my body, or at least I do, but I don't. Like, I don't want the consequences of dealing with that. But yeah, I don't need to go this far. And when I look back in retrospect, the recipe for when trans people actually go off and commit to these things even though they could do it theoretically at any point in their lives, what ends up is that almost every trans person I know waits until it's a crisis. Almost every single one, because it's huge. It's huge and it's scary. You don't want to find out what family's gonna say. You don't want to find out what's gonna happen at work, I know people who have been fired for being trans and they don't get told, oh, you're trans, we're gonna fire you. They get laid off and not rehired or they get 
told that they stole something that they didn't, reported to their licensing boards, anything to mess them up to make it look for cause. And, and that's for lots of minorities over time, really. Very few people actively discriminate these days. But it, it really is that big. And there's also, if you're not at a crisis level, you do look at yourself and say, is it that bad? Is it that bad right now? Can I tolerate this right now? Can I tolerate this level of like not being myself? And you just take a look at the two paths down there. You say, it's like, well, that looks scary. I'm fine. I'm probably fine. I'm fine for now. And so you put it off until you check the paths the next time. It's like, well, this path is a little bit worse than it was last time I checked. But that one's still way scary and unknown. So <laughs> you keep doing it. And I just treated the whole thing as a, a symptom management. It's like, okay, I'm going to do things to help my brain along there. And a lot of non-trans people are, aren't going to understand things like this, but maybe like ladies with polycystic ovarian syndrome might understand, you know, if you have dark facial hair, you're going to look in the mirror and it's going to drive you up the freaking wall at some point. So I got that lasered off 20 years ago. And yes, it hurt. <laughs> it hurt a lot. And that's not a smell that I smelled until I got LASIK about five <laughs> years after that. <laughs> hmm, all the various smells of yourself cooking. Not very appetizing, strangely. No, I, I do have to tell you that I'm a, a farm kid from small town Alberta, a fourth generation Albertan, that kind of thing, which has a lot of impact on this conversation in general. But when I went to LASIK to get my eyes done, they zap my eyes. I'm like, oh, it smells like a branding right now. This is what it smells like at a cattle branding. I don't like that anymore. That's very cool. I did exact not know that. smell. Yes. <laughs> I know people on farms, but I've never had somebody on a farm go for LASIK and make the association. That's <laughs> I learned something. <laughs> I actually resonate with it for an entirely different reason. So I'm a heritage And what you just described is something I can't like I can't laser it off. I can't do anything about it. It is what it is. So I have male features that I will never be able to deal with ever. They will be there forever. And I've spent thousands trying to solve that problem. So like I hear you as you're going through this process and I also go, yeah. And you were trying to find a way to be authentically yourself while you were staring down both those paths. So you're living this life as a, a person just trying to manage the symptoms because this one over here is really scary and big and unmanageable to a certain yeah. degree. That's how I'm hearing it. Yeah, honestly, what you described there, that that's dysphoria right there is that I am not enough myself. I'm too far out of me. Mm. I imagine that women who get mastectomies for cancer reasons, I mean, yeah. you see people, well, why would you bother getting a reconstruction? after something like that say so, well some don't some are like um no i want a reconstruction because this doesn't feel like me and you know you know it's not like a hundred percent real whatever it is you're doing but that's not the point the point is feeling kind of at home with yourself mm. you're kind of where you're supposed to be so yeah that was basically symptom management and i thought well that that was basically the last thing i could do really. I knew about hormones back in the late 90s. I knew who I could see about them if I wanted them, but 
Uh, this is going to sound a little bit silly there. I didn't want breasts because it would ruin swimming. That was the big thing. It's like, oh, I can stand a lot of these other things, but it's like, no, I love swimming and I don't want to stop swimming and I won't be able to wear a racer back. People or a rash guard, people will be able to tell. And I just didn't want that. I just knew, like, I, I thought, at least anyways, I would freak out when it got to that point. So yeah, essentially, that was my last gasp at dealing with something. When I was 31, I met someone very cool. We had kids, stuff like this. And, you know, life was really good. But there's just this slow decline in the background of being able to manage stuff. And you get to a point where you're starting to feel like all your time outside the house is pretending. Mm. And you're only kind of safe inside the house. It's like, it's just exhausting. It's like my gender batteries were running down and I couldn't recharge them anymore. So getting to age 47 there, and I probably let this go a little bit long. Basically, I haven't appeared in my own photos for the past 10 years. That's one thing trans people often have in common is that you won't appear in photos. Like, no, I, I don't want nobody takes a good photo of me, things like that. So it just disappeared for 10 years. And the not being yourself things like age was starting to take a toll, things like that. I had to lose weight for medical reasons. Now result, be me. And that I was hiding behind some of the, the fat in my face to keep my brain on par. And that kind of tanked it right there. So, you know, I'm looking at HRT, which I just left off the table a long time previous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though I really did have the good fortune, I would suggest this to anybody who thinks they even might be trans, is tell your future partner when you meet them. <laughs> and I told my now wife on our second date, and I'm very, very, very glad that I did that. But even then, like, that's no guarantee. You don't necessarily know what's going to come. I'll just tell you now, it's kind of unavoidable in the long term, mm -hmm. some of this stuff. And you can promise your heart out, but you may not be able to keep that promise just because age and time. Your authentic self comes out. Yeah. Well, basically, hiding it becomes too hard. Or you just time just slowly pulls you away from it. And you just get tired. You really, really just get tired not being yourself. So, you know, there's the, the trying to pop that question. It's like, you know, I kind of want to try this. I think it'll really help. And I mentioned it when we were going off on one of our, our date days. And then it dropped from the conversation. I thought, oh, well, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. I'll see if I can tolerate this. But she brought it up. I, th I thought uh, it might have just dropped on the table. She thought about it and, and okayed it. And we talked two weeks later and I ran off, ran off to the doctor. We're very fortunate to be able to have informed consent. If you're in the UK, you're dealing with four years to be seen for the first time in a lot of places. Even here, like if you go through a queue, it was getting up past two years. And when you're, like I say, Trans people are usually at the crisis point when they come here. You can hold on to that a little bit with a promise, but mm -hmm. just it gets hard to think. Like it's an intrusive thought. It interrupts the stupidest mundane. Like, what do I want on my sandwich? Bam. What was I thinking of? It's like, oh yeah, I was thinking about what I wanted on my sandwich. You know, it's unbidden. You can't, you can't stop it. 
But yeah, I went in there, I tracked the doctor down in question. Going to that first appointment, I had to tell the front desk what I was there for. I had to tell the person to take me back there. I was there for, I had to tell the person who was peeking in on me. back there, And that's embarrassing. Oh my God. You don't know what embarrassment. But uh, I mean, that worked. The, the doctor was very nice. Had forms. Have your consent form there. And you know, anyone who's not trans would look at this list and think, oh my God, I'm not signing off on any of these. Look at these horrible effects. I don't want that. They just get visceral willies from looking at that. Trans Mm -hmm. people are like, well, that sounds good. I'll sign off on that. It's like, yes, yeah. Yes, I've been investigating this hard for the past eight months. Yes, 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 yes. I could practically tell you what all these things are and sign off on that. Got my baselines found out and it's not not everybody who has slightly different biology but i found out my progesterone is actually high and he just like peered at me after i got my baselines coming back it's like you on anything but i am not on anything oh okay oh all right well that's interesting it doesn't have to be but you know it's it's developmental biology sometimes it goes off the rails just in your head sometimes it goes off the rails yeah and it just skips to a different track it's like the choose your own adventure it picked the wrong number. It's like, go to page 12. It's like, well, my one says go to page 13. What the heck happened here? So I got that. I had that in my hand and it started with patches and things like that. And off I went. I did not actually intend, even though I went on HRT, I didn't intend to transition. This was just going to be like, here's my final kick at. This will calm my brain down. And then I went right back to my regular routine with a calmer head. Mm. That was actually pretty good. So that's fine. It's like, I felt a little bit better uh, about that. I just thought, well, over time, I'm probably gonna need looser clothes. And that turned out to be true. Doing this after a weight loss was great because I had stuff that was a little bit bigger that hit anything that was happening. But, you know, I thought I'm old. You know, I'm in my late 40s. This isn't going to do all that much, but hopefully it would calm my head down. That's fine. And then the months ticked by. And the, the interesting thing is, like, strangers will occasionally, like, people who don't know you, they're the ones who have that sort of initial honest assessment of you. And just every now and again, I'd have what they'd call, they call it a male fail. It's... M-A-L-E-F-A-L. It's like somebody will call you miss out of the blue or someone else say you ma'am. It's like, oh, even though it's sometimes kind of frightening if it's not in your plans, it, it always feels good. It, it always feels good. So, you know, that, that started happening every now and again. And I'd get like a gender choke or something like that. Somebody in the co-op ahead of me is like, well, I don't want my game piece. Oh, yeah, you can just give it to this. And they didn't know whether to say gentleman or lady at the moment, apparently. So they just stopped. They just <laughs> stopped mid-sentence. And it just started happening uh, more and more frequently. Like at six months, it was just, I got miss, which is a really weird age-related term, like when you're 47 in the first place. They even got one young man, which was very strange because I'm absolutely sure he was a contemporary. And... That continued on. When it got to nine months, that's when it got a little bit scary for me. I know a lot of a lot of trans people, 
they will suppress the hell out of things, which just winds everything up like an elastic. And when they have a crisis, they shoot backwards. Like they will join the army. They will weightlift. They will hide behind the biggest beard you ever did see in an attempt to crush this. And it makes it worse. So they, they come flying out of the gates and they want to do this. Me, I'm just on the edge all this time. It's like, I don't want to fuss, don't want to fuss, don't want to fuss. And so when it got to about nine months, it started being weird in the bathroom. I'm going to the bathroom and I'm getting stares now. It's like, okay, what's going on there? By about the nine and a half months in, I'm finding that I need to swagger, literally swagger to kind of assert myself. Like, I'm supposed to be here. Er, er, er. And then I duck into a stall as I always did, and then come back and not look at anybody and wash my hands and run the heck out of there. By the time 10 months came by, it's like, well, no, that's not working. It's not working at all. I just felt afraid to go into the bathroom. I felt afraid to go into any bathroom. I would go into accessibility ones if I was like really desperate, but like, oh, great. Now I'm bathroom, bathroomless when going out on things. And you, you need those bathrooms when you're out and about that's when it kind of hit home. It's like, if I'm out with friends at a movie, it's like, oh, gee, you know, we just had our, our extra large for 10 more cents. That was the nine liter container. I need to go to the bathroom. And I look at there, it's like, I'm not going to be able to go to the bathroom near my friends. I'm going to have to wait on it. And I started dehydrating myself so that I wouldn't have to go to the bathroom in public. But on the same side of the equation, it's like change blindness is a real thing. Trans people encounter it all the time. If you know me, your brain will do an update and it will just keep on updating what you see me as. So strangers will not say sir to me. They'll always say ma'am or miss where everyone in the office has no idea anything's going on. I think the biggest comment I had from anybody was wondering whether I'd lost weight because my eyes looked a little more open. That's the only change. And it's a real phenomenon. Interestingly, it works in, in reverse as well. Like if people encounter me now and I show them pictures back from when people were saying sir to me all the time, it's like, I don't see a man. What are you talking about? So it, mm. it works both ways. And that's, that's an interesting kind of unlearning block mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, I'm at that point. A few months later, I'm deciding, well, maybe we better start telling people. So I started coming out to people I knew. The very first people we came out to, it's like they have marched in pride. Their kid has an I'm super gay t-shirt on there. The wife is telling us about how she went to this sermon by this trans man. And I still can't tell her my wife had to save me at the last moment for that very first one. It's like, then, then I was able to tell her husband and those guys, they, they were wonderful. And I would get home, I'd sit in my chair and I would just go unconscious mm. for about half an hour and realize, oh, I've been sitting in this chair unconscious for half an hour. And that happened every single time I came out to somebody. I would come home, I'd sit down on something, and I would just pass out. Just exhausting. Just exhausting. Yeah. It didn't matter how well I knew the people, how well I knew it would be received. It was anxiety every time. And then four months later, that's when I made 
the decisions like, well, maybe I better tell work because work is now, because it's just slowly expanding where I could be me because everyone else, every stranger saw me that way. It's like work is the only place I can't be myself now. I should probably do something about that. And I was scared as hell. And everyone was nothing but nice. And John, you know James. He was just the absolute sweetest person about it. I figured out a way to like cut the the mental effort in half is I would tell somebody that I had something to tell them and then they wouldn't let me off the hook because it looked like I was serious about it. Mm-hmm. So when they asked me, it's like, okay, well now I only have to do like half the mental effort in two blocks. And he was really good about that. So yeah, then there was the timer set on there. I met with the VP of talent, used the template email from somebody I know who had really good success coming out. So here, try this email. I added a line on the end that said, you know, please don't all look over your monitor at once because we're in an open office plan. Just, But yeah, the day came, the announcement wasn't coming out. I'm thinking, I've got an out here. Do I poke the bear? Do I poke the bear? <laughs> I poked the bear. And the email went out and I couldn't look at anybody. I could not look at anybody for like almost all of the afternoon. I responded. People were really good. They were really well-wishing Right near the end of the day, like I asked one of my coworkers, like, could you give me an introduction to the women's bathroom? Because I just don't feel right. And she had to laugh because she went to a university where everything was so co-ed, they just didn't even bother. And it's like, she just thought, why did you have to come out? You should have just like waltzed in. She thought that was funny, but it just felt like a sense of propriety. And I went in there and I'm still afraid of the bathroom. I still like wait until nobody's in there. I duck in there, wait till people clear out and then I duck back out. I might be better about that now, almost two years later, but still kind of eh. And I promised my name story. For my name, I actually came out uh, with my regular name. I did not change my name, which I'm now realizing in retrospect probably didn't help with the pronoun issue. Because everybody goes off and like, what fires together, wires together. Um, <laughs> so anybody who said Richie, it's like, well, it would be automatically there. Even people who are good with my pronouns, if they started talking to someone else about me, mm-hmm. the old pronouns would sneak back in. So, so I did that. And I thought, well, no, people at least don't have to learn a new name. Okay, well, no, that's fine. And I was actually going out as me before that point, giving my name as my old name. And it was fine. But... Apparently, coming out at work, that was the last place apart from social media that I needed to come out with. That was having something be the last place you need to come out. It changes something. You don't have to flip back and forth anymore. You don't have to like dual mode, as they say. You don't have to like use a guy voice on the phone just in case it could be a coworker or something like that. And this goes with gestures. I'll do a quick aside in the gestures because I had to unlearn my gesture blocks because I could feel it like if I'm going like this if it comes above my waist I could feel where I used to mask that like it just stops right there I had to give myself permission to go past it it's like okay now I can get my old gestures back the ones that I had in private but locked down when I was in public yeah I know you can't see it right now but I'm moving my arm through a range of motion trying to (laughs) <laughs> you know, you you won't have any equivalent yeah. blocks like that 
it's like, no, I can't do that. I can't move my arm like that. I can't move my wrist like that. I can't express Mm -hmm. like that. I can't do a Venus flytrap over my head. But it changes the way you interact to a certain point. And the way I found this out was kind of a weird hard way. Once I came out at work, within a few weeks, I would give my name to retailers and things like that. It's like, oh yeah, you know, like here's the name for pickup. Here's the name for the change room, whatever it was. You know, oh, are you part of our loyalty program? You know, what, what's your name? And they started reacting badly mm-hmm. to my old name. But that wasn't old at the time. It was the only name I had. Like I was playing a joke on them or like I was lying to them. They'd stare at me for a couple of seconds or give me a half eye, half face towards me to make sure it wasn't a joke. So four months in after that, I'm starting to think, you know, I'm getting a little bit fed up of feeling like I'm a liar when I tell people my name. I started not wanting to get into situations where I was telling people my name. And I really thought this was something I could just carry, no problem. Michael Burnham and Star Trek Discovery, she managed it. Why can't I manage this? So I went off and I put together a list of 22 names, uh, whittled down into voting. This took about five months. I wanted an E name because all my family members, because various reasons are A, B, C, D. I could have been an E. I couldn't find any good ones. Although Eowyn was one of the ones I wanted because my wife tells me I look like a writer of Rohan. And she's the one who's like the witch king of Angmar. Uh, no man can kill me. And she says, I'm no man. Stab, 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 stab. And kills him. But I, I don't think I can carry Eowyn. So what I found instead was Jade happens to be from the Chinese name that I got given when I took Mandarin at university. I actually have a minor in it. And my name transcribes and literally translated with the characters she used, it actually means fortunate Jade. Hmm. So let's take a look at that. Oh, that would actually be pretty cool. But the thing that kind of nailed it for me on that, beside the fact that everyone said, oh, yeah, I can actually see you as a jade, whereas some would say, oh, I can't see you as this or this or this, was that I met my old professor on campus. I just demonstrated, like, look, I can still find my name. And so, Andrei, and she looked at the character and apologized to me. She's like, Oh, just want you to know that second character there, it makes your name look kind of feminine. Here's what you could do because both of them had the, the Jade radical on it. So boop, 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 three lines with a line in the middle. Here's a chi you could use instead that looks a little bit more manly. And I looked at that and thought, I am now keeping the old spelling of that <laughs> forever. That really made me happy. Technically, I've had that name since 1988. So it was kind of nice to have something that's got that sort of a a deep history to it as well. It's nice how it all came together and it worked out perfectly. I worked with Jade uh, at that place and talked every day. We would talk about Monty Python. We would talk about Tolkien, that kind of thing. And I, of course, was oblivious to anything that, that you were going through. And then the email came out and I was like, hmm, that's interesting but I, I don't know what to do about this it's kind of strange and then you showed up the next day and we talked about monty python and we talked about tolkien we talked about our kids and everything was just normal i'm like oh okay and that was about the only discomfort i had it's like oh 
I know who this person is. It's the exact same person as before. This is awesome. Yeah. Not a big deal. And then when I used the wrong pronoun at lunch, I got shouted down. And every time I would make a little proton slip, I would get torn apart by people. It's like, oh, come on, people. Give a guy a minute to figure it out. It was one of those things where I actually had so many people. They were more me mean to you than I was. <laughs> I had so many people correct me one day for using the pronoun he when talking to you that I said to the fifth person, yes, I know about the new covers on the TPS reports. And if you're especially nerdy, like Jade and I, you get that. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. I get it. But it was, yeah, exactly. But it was one of those things where because the name change hadn't happened yet, I would still talk about you in the same way. And in the mornings, I would say, good morning, sometimes Mr. and that type of thing too. So my patterns really needed to change. I needed to get out of this, the container I was in and get into a new one. And actually, I do thank you for that because I needed to push. I needed to start thinking about a little bit different. And of course, Theoretically and mentally, I knew that I had to get there at some point, but it wasn't until somebody I knew and liked and trusted actually had gone through something like this. I'm like, I've really got to get on board with this. It's time for me to evolve. Finally said my life. I love all my coworkers for what they've done. I've even yeah. had, you know, conservative people give me little emails through there just saying, you know, you know, this is normally not my bag, but you really have kind of shown, you know, it, it, it dispels some myths. And the bravery that you showed by coming out like you did and sending the email to the entire company and encouraging people to ask questions and things like that. Not the entire company, apparently. Only the Calgary company. So when we had that big function the next month, nobody from the state side office had any idea this was happening. (laughs) All right, then. Wow. And I, I didn't say, find out about that until partway through the evening. It's like, oh, you guys didn't get the email? That's a lot of people you from a lot of... You've about this for people who just didn't get the email at all. And that's a sampling of all the cultures from all across North America jammed into a hotel in the middle of the afternoon on Wednesday and Thursday. And they've probably known you for years too. So I'm sure there were some shocked faces. There's some shock faces. I'm really glad I didn't have to do that. A sad three-piece suit. I, that would have just killed me. I, w- I would have snuck out early. <laughs> Mandatory or not, I just would have snuck out early. As it stood, I had a fantastic time. I really want to acknowledge what I heard that's making an impact on me right now. And first, like, thank you for just being willing to share your story, your way. It makes a difference. Because I was listening to you and I was like... I take for granted how simple it is that I can go to the bathroom and know exactly where to go. And I feel comfortable 100% of the time in my skin. And what you gave me was a way to be able to relate to a level of discomfort and anguish, because that's what it sounds like. Over here, how I heard it was like anguish that you went through to finally make it, you know, a a very big change in your life. So you went through the mill to get to that position. And I think it's also kind of driven home the point. Like I've candidly, I have really struggled with the pronoun piece. I've struggled with like the philosophy behind it. Like, why is it so important? Like you need to explain this to me in a way that I can understand. And I feel like you did that for me today because I, I don't actually want someone, I don't want to have to ask questions about it, but I can see now why it's important. Yeah, this whole thing, like being trans is about feeling like you've been levered out of where your heart belongs. Mm-hmm. So when you finally get there, especially because when you do this, you're at your crisis point, you're at the most raw right afterwards. I mean, maybe you can take your licks in about three years, 
right at that time, you're really raw. And it's just another reminder because you, you're always asking yourself, will I be able to do this? Will this be successful? Can I, you know, keep my life like this in, mm -hmm. in what feels like a lifeline? And anytime somebody reaches back for something old, if they do it intentionally, specifically, if they're a total idiot, it doesn't matter. I'm fine with that. But, you know, it can be like if you're meeting somebody new and somebody with you introduces you the wrong way, you're thinking, this is now an encounter. This is somebody that this has been spoiled for. You know, they will not be able to see me the way they would if I'd just been able to introduce myself. Mm -hmm. It would be like if somebody constantly introduced you as someone who used to pee your bed or something like that when you're it's like, well, that's, that's now tainted that social interaction. So, I mean, you're, you're trying to make, you know, a social life for yourself and that ends up being important. It's, it's like, uh, you know, if you were big as a kid and people would like not stop calling you fat. So, you know, 20 years later when you weren't at all. And as, as you've seen, of course, as well, like it's very similar to people who will not respect your name change. Mm -hmm. That's, it's a very similar feeling. It's like, like, if you're doing that on purpose, you are, you are not respecting me at all. But yeah, like people willing to learn, that's fine. For anyone out there, if you get it wrong, just correct it. Just correct it. No, no need to go into extended stories or anything else like that. Just correct it. And that takes away like most of the sting right there. And it's great. And anyone who's trying, thank you so much. It's a constant state of trying. I think we're all trying to get better every single day. I think the piece that I'm left with is I want to have more sensitivity about how people want to be referred to. Because my name actually is quite important to me. I don't, like if someone introduced me by my old name, I, I would be like, Okay, so that's not my name. Like legally, mm -hmm. that's not my name. So I get it now. And I just needed this time with you, I guess, Jade, to kind of get it like on a cellular level for myself. And I want to have more sensitivity for what people actually want. Like it's not being politically correct or any of the rest of that. Yeah, I get that. So irrelevant. Like the political correctness is like totally irrelevant. Now that I've heard your story, I'm just like oh my gosh, there's this person who's been in like complete emotional and mental anguish. The least I can do yeah. is be curious about how she would like to be referred to. That's the least I can do. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, that's <laughs> excellent. And you know, we are at the end of our time together right now. So thank you so much. Jay. This is, this has been enlightening. It has been fantastic. And I really appreciate the time. And I would like to say thank you, Matt. You've been most gracious. And thank you, Laura. Truly, thank you, Jade, for being here. Thanks for being part of our learning today. I really appreciate it, and I'm very grateful. And thanks for joining us on the Learning Value Podcast. You've certainly given us a lot of value today. Thanks so much. <laughs>